Testing, hello, it's your girl, Kelechi. Welcome. I'm I'm doing an impersonation of someone and I don't know who that person is yet, so I'm just gonna stop. Welcome back to Cake and Kombucha. We are approaching a special anniversary. For those of you who are new listeners, anniversaries are any time I decide to congratulate myself and feel excited that this is happening. So stay tuned for some anniversary programming. Anyway, Cake and Kombucha, if you're not already confused, dismayed, horrified, is a place where we convene, but I convene because I'm with myself. I don't know if I can convene with myself, a confifi. Remember that Trump word? We confifi to talk about politics, the news, reality, television, just shady boots and nasty business and anything that's going on in the world in a, I'll say lighthearted, but also sometimes serious manner. As you can hear, I'm a little hoarse today. I have been going through it with allergies and I'm kind of losing my voice. So I hope that's not very annoying to listen to. But um, let's get right started. So that open was from, it's a little tribute to an iconic figure who we will get to in a segment later in the show. But first... What should we get into first? I mean, let's let's just get right into it. The thing that is dominating the news feed right now is I feel like we went back to calling him Mueller. No, no, I met someone called Mueller. Okay, it's still Mueller. Bob Mueller. He is mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. Basically, if you've been living inside of a vacuum sealed bubble, first of all, congratulations. That's one of the most wise things you could do at this very interesting slash very sad period in American history. But um, Bob Mueller, the second longest serving FBI director in American history, who's worked under presidents of both parties, had to come out and pull a full Nene Leaks and tell you guys, I said what I said. I said what I said. So he was sick of how Barr was misconstruing his words and apparently and savvily realized that A, people don't read and B, um, the right wing media just lies about stuff. So he had to come and state what his intentions were, what his findings were, what his opinion was very clearly. And after that, he said, Hail Mary, boom, I quit. I mean, he literally was some sort of like an opera diva, like I'm going to sacrifice myself and commit suicide on this altar 
while a beautiful aria plays so that y'all know I'm not playing with you and I'm leaving and I'm retiring and I don't want to talk to you anymore after serving this country for like 50, 11 years. I think it's really significant when you can push someone bipartisan to the edge like that. Um, because I don't even normally like people that don't pick a side. <laughs> like I'm all about sides. But um, yeah, so let's get into the details a little bit. Or the details that you're going to get from me. <laughs> Please watch news or something. Well, I don't even know who to recommend you to sometimes. But um, yeah, don't just come to me for all the details. I'm telling you the uh, condensed version that is lends itself to fun times and storytelling. But it's true. So yesterday, um, in a nine-minute statement, uh, Mueller came out and he said that he, like his most quoted uh, segment from his speech was, if I had confidence that the president did not commit a crime, I would have said so. Which is kind of just like a, a read, right? If I had told you what I had said, then I would have said that, Okay. He, he's, he's, he was like, come on, guys. He said that a sitting president cannot be indicted and Congress has to do this. He said there, he plainly, he, not plainly as in I'm interpreting, like he said, there are other channels for this investigation to take place. What he meant by that was impeachment. So, yeah. Like, and some people have tried to misconstrue this further and say, well, you know, Sure, sitting president can't be indicted. Congress had to. But why can't he make a decision about criminality? Um, why can't he make a decision about criminality? Is because people would have a, they would just poop their pants in the streets talking about how he has, you know, influenced the process and innocent until proven guilty. I mean, you can't even like, you can't even go to the police and tell, you know, we can't even like charge R. Kelly with 11 new sex crimes, which happened today without people saying you're innocent until proven guilty. So like, yeah, I mean, we have a hard enough time, like even accusing powerful people of doing anything wrong without people losing their minds. So to suggest that he could just say he's, I, I think he's guilty without having a fair trial. This guy would never do that. He's a really straight laced guy, which is why this is a big deal. Like he was not someone who picked a side. Like I said, he works for either president. I mean, sorry, more than one president doing dirty business for, for both sides of the field. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like you pushed a really square, likes to play by the rules, play the, by the books guy to the edge. He waited a really long time to come and give this response. And What's happening now? A couple things are happening. Um, the pod is late. You're probably going to listen to this Friday morning, but I'm kind of glad I waited a little bit because yesterday I was going to be like, oh God, nothing's happening. It's just that the left news wing, um, let me not call anything wings. It's not a left wing. Le- the left leaning, the correct news stations that I listen to, which I only will just say MSNBC and I don't even know where to count CNN because they play games with, they're just, they just play a lot of soap opera games right now. But I, I just thought I was going to come here and tell you that those people kept playing this over and over again. And it was just a circle loop clusterfuck of impeachment conversations and analysis that didn't go anywhere. However, there seems to be some crossover. And what people are saying now is that this really did have the effect of permeating that 
shall we call it the alternate dimension in which half of the country lives in like people I saw a woman on TV who had gone to a town hall with a Republican representative that was finally convinced that impeachment was necessary from what Mueller did and she was like I didn't know there was anything negative in the Mueller report how sis she's and she said I usually watch right wing or like right leaning I don't know what the word she used. It actually didn't even sound that like, it like sounded inflammatory the way she said it. It didn't sound great. But she said, I usually watch right wing politics stations or whatever. And so she never heard there was anything negative in the report. I mean, how sometimes I try to watch Fox. Like, honestly, I do try to watch it a little bit sometimes just to know what's being said, like almost as a creative exercise. I'm a creative. I write, I sing, I act. Got to keep the juices flowing, not those types of juices. Get your mind out the gutter. But I'm here to report that there's no real trick to, you know, massaging this information, creatively packaging it. It's just lies. It's just flat out lies. It's not going to help you pitching ideas if you work in you know branding or marketing. Like you have, you can't just be like, this box is a circle. This purse is a car like it's that but that's basically what they're doing. So there's there was really there's really no magic. It's just lies. So I turned on the station and they were like, well, well, this I for actually this example, I guess they did flip because they were like, it's just a sad day. This is on Fox. One of those people. They all look the same. I don't know. They go to the same plastic surgeon. This it's just a sad day when you find out someone you've respected all these years is a lying, low-down, dirty dog. Really, something they didn't say low-down, dirty dog, but something very close to that effect. I'm not even exaggerating with that. And so here I am saying that I don't like people that could be on either side, like pick a side with your values, do that. I'm suspicious. I'm just, to me, if you're not on the side of like, right, then you kind of are letting injustice go by and yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you've gotten that by now by listening to me, even for just this pod. But I, you know, they're taking it and just saying, okay, well, someone who I really trusted every decision he's made for the past 30 years is obviously just an idiot and forgot all of his methods of investigation and lost his magnifying glass and can't write notes on a trusty notebook, a handy dandy notebook anymore because he came out with this, this, these assertions. So he's just a dick now. Like they just, they just, so there, there you go. That's a perfect example of, um, just spin from either side. I'm saying he's always been fair. So he's a measured, you know, kind of closed off person and doesn't like the spotlight. So this is even more impactful. And they're saying, well, he just lost his mind. He's just turned full anti-Trump. He lay down in the poppy field and took a nap in Emerald City. Like they're just like completely discrediting him, which is kind of rough. Like I'm not in the business of feeling really sorry for powerful old white men that helped push conservative agendas from time to time. But imagine what it must be like to just be minding your business and doing your job well for 35 years and then to, to continue to do what you're called upon to do and just really feel like you have to quit in a kerfluffle because what you do is not respected anymore. That's, that's kind of grimy. 
It is. It's, it's just, it's kind of shocking. I mean, it's shocking to watch other old white men like come for this other old white man. Like I would think that they were, he was in the circles where those people respected him is, is what I'm saying. So also today Trump tweeted and let me quote this exactly. I had nothing to do with Russia helping me to get elected. Hmm. Okay. So that's from, that is from the horse's mouth. The dappled orange mare himself, the dappled bald orange mare that's wearing a yakky extension. Um, yeah, he like he plainly just said that Russia helped him get elected. And then, of course, he took it back afterwards. So I wonder when his people will muzzle him or give him some horse trank for today. Like you got like they have to keep him off the computer until this boils over, which I'm sad to say it really might. It really just might. Dionne Warwick has reached the age where you're shady for no reason. You're shady for good reasons, but you're also shady for no reason. You come for people when they did nothing wrong, and this is what we can all look forward to in old divahood. So if you are not clued into what I'm talking about yet, I'm referring to an interview that she did this week in promotion for her new album. Dionne Warwick, who's now 78, is the chanteuse of songs like Walk On By, A House Is Not A Home, Wishing And Hope And I'll Never Fall In Love Again, Do You Know The Way To San Jose? I Say A Little Prayer For You. Yep, that was hers first, not Aretha Franklin's. She's second only to Aretha Franklin as the most charted female vocalist of all time, with 56 of her singles making the Billboard Hot 100. 56 of her singles. That's, that's nuts. Between 19, this is between 1962 and 1998, and 80 singles making all the Billboard charts combined. She's also Whitney Houston's cousin and started a Psychic Friends network, like one of those call-in things. Um, I guess this was like the 80s or 90s. Um, Yeah, so if you don't know who she is, even with all those descriptions I gave you and you don't know those songs, hold on to that thought. It'll be relevant in a second when I tell you why she's getting dragged in the media. Oh, but first I want to say that people have been suggesting that Tiana Taylor should play her in a biopic. They actually do look alike. If you look at young pictures of Dionne Warwick, she and Tiana Taylor, both really strong featured women. Like they just have, they're just unique looking, beautiful women. And they look like each other. Okay. Boom. So she has been in the news this week for saying that she doubts Beyonce would reach icon status. And as often happens, whenever anyone says something and receives a backlash, she walked it back a bit. Then, which also often happens, people felt like being contrarian that day, and they also helped her walk it back. They were like, no, that's not what she meant. She just compared you know, other people who are icons, like people the level of Gladys Knight and okay, so those people that I mentioned are defending it. Yeah, they didn't listen to the full comments either. Um, because I just, I went to the video and I watched the interview live. I watched the words come out of her mouth. I saw her mouth form the words. And then I heard the words. And the words were shady. So she said, and I'm quoting, 
I have an admiration for Beyonce Knowles, Carter now. I don't know why she had to add on her married name. It was just shady. Just on just that old lady shade that you can't place, but you feel it in your bones. Like, what are you getting at? Okay, I'll start again. You know, I have a habit of editorializing before I read the quote. I have an admiration for Beyonce Knowles, Carter now. Watching her growth has been quite refreshing. It's wonderful to see how she's been able to create what and who she wanted to be and who she is. Very proud of that. I really am. Now, sustaining and becoming a big icon that a Gladys Knight or a Patti LaBelle or a Johnny Mathis or a Frank Sinatra or a Sammy Davis Jr. is, I doubt that. I really do. And I love her to death. Anytime anyone says I love you to death or bless your heart, they're shading the fuck out of you. I doubt that. I really do. And I love her to death. But that iconic status like those people I mentioned, those four names, it's a long road to hoe. So that part, I quote it like I... I'm, guess what? Let me read you her apology first. She went back, she gave an apology that was like, again, the opposite of what she said. And it goes as follows. What I said is in quotes, what at essence said is not. It takes a long time to reach and achieve iconic status. That's not to say that Beyonce isn't well on her way. She is a gifted performer. That is a reach from essence. Well, you guys, guess what? Like I said, I'm not an investigative journalist, but when it comes to a Beyonce topic, you can bet your girl transcribed exactly what Dion said off the video. Like I did not pull this from an article. I typed her words. She literally said, I doubt that. I really do. And then in her apology, she said, Beyonce is well on her way. Those two Those statements, two statements, statements are, are, are opposite. opposite. They're not, they're not, they're opposite. They're opposite. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was very trippy. I mean, let's go back to what is the definition of an icon? Like basically the dictionary definition doesn't even, I think we know what, what we're talking about pop stars, famous people in this instance but like the first couple definitions in the dictionary are not they don't even refer to people people's last and it's generally i as i like i just googled a couple different online dictionaries just as a survey people a person is last and it's once um all the other icon like definitions that come first refer to like images but the definition really was very simple it's a person who's revered or idolized there's no album sales quota there's not even longevity written in so the temptation here and everything i say is included i'm i'm not i'm not saying that i'm like above and beyond this in my arguments but everything else that we throw at this now will be based on you know definitions that we make up like like, uh, you know, bars that we say you have to meet to be an icon and we can take them away and add them to suit like whoever we're arguing for. Um, and we are just talking from our gut feelings, but I think it's unquestionable that Beyonce is revered or idolized and okay. Fuck the philosophical fairness. Like obviously Beyonce is an icon. This is stupid. I, I don't, Anytime people on mass are sobbing about touching you, you're an icon. Okay. So Dion Warwick could have just said, Hey, I'm going to list a lot of people who are dead or 80 years old. And Beyonce is in neither of those. So, you know, in a game of which one of these things is not like the other, she'd lose or 
Johnny Mathis. Oh, he's still alive. Thank God. Stand corrected. He's a really handsome black man with a big cleft chin who older black ladies were obsessed with. Um, he's actually like came out as gay, like way before, way before it was in, in not, a, I don't know say in vogue, like acceptable or just common. Like people just didn't really say that when he did, he was standing in his truth. He's so gorgeous. Back in the day, I looked at pictures of him and his voice is beautiful. He sold 350 million records worldwide. So Dion is calling back to people who are extremely, extremely famous, but don't have the name recognition of Beyonce, had really, really long sustained careers, but again, are older than Beyonce and like, and don't have the name recognition, but also like why compare it to people who are older? Cause she's just not old yet. And she did not say again, she didn't say for all the people just who like to gloss people. I swear. I mean, I don't want to be hypocritical because I like overanalyze things too, but people are like into the verbal. This is like the time of just the verbal gymnastics, the iPhone press releases, apologies. Like there's not that much room for interpretation in some of these things that we go back and forth with each other on the internet about. Like she didn't say Beyonce's not there yet. She, She said it's a long road to go and I doubt she'll get there. I really do. Like, I'm going to keep repeating that. So the, so we, the question is, why would you, what would make you doubt that? Like, Oh, just cause it's hard. Well, I think Beyonce is on her way having already done this for 20 years. So, I mean, the other unspoken thing is like Dion, like, I feel like to have this conversation, obviously think she's an icon and she has had an illustrious career. And for the people who are taking this to me and like, well, some songs are memorable and what in the pop music catalog is going to be played years from now, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so for those of you who don't know, all of those songs I named at the top, except for one of them was not her, was, was not him, was written by Burt Bacharach, a famous composer. He's an icon, iconic sound, you know, his music catalog is huge and vast And just in a time where like, we always rag, like we say everything's a cover, but back in the day, singers like did, you know, there were these famous writing teams that wrote music for the whole, you know, of record labels that they work for. And which is pretty similar to how it works now. And singers took them. And so the songs were just different. I mean, so yeah, Dion's an icon, but like you're an icon to like gay men and black musical theater girls like myself. Like I love you, but you are niche. Like I was working as an office manager where I picked the music and I played bossa Nova every morning for like three months straight. I I'm secretly born in the forties, but that doesn't mean you need to get cocky about it. Like I also was confused for a second and thought she was Diane Carroll. And I was like, wait, (laughs) I was trying to find out. I knew she was the first you know, one of the, in the, one of the first, uh, black leads in a sitcom on television, I was just sure. And I was like, why isn't this in Diane Carroll's IMDb? What's going on? And, or sorry, I was like, why isn't this in Dionne Warwick's IMDb? And then I um, realized I was thinking about Diane Carroll, but yeah, it was a shady comment and you have to consider the impulse to name the most famous and highly argued about, the most frequently brought up she's in phrases in our culture. Like, you know, Beyonce has the same 24 hours in a day as you do. I mean, this is something that like 
yoga moms at Peloton like say to each other. And she she chose that person. So you kind of subconsciously already chose someone who's an icon because they're ever presently in the background of our culture and, and giving it new things. Like you picked that person to start this debate about. So I don't know, something about getting older, maybe you don't realize things you're saying are being recorded, whatever. But she also, again, is promoting a tour. So maybe inciting the wrath of the beehive is kind of like, you know, the theory that people have that these brands and labels do things to incite black rage and a boycott to get attention. Maybe she wanted to go viral um, with the wrath of the beehive, but I hope she gets some new security, changes her locks, uh, internet clicks uh, for these celebrities. They're crazy. So be safe. Call your psychic friends. Okay, so this next story is a sad one. Um, Kit Harrington is in rehab, and I feel responsible. Well, like it's almost like we're all responsible. Um, so, Kit Harrington, fine ass Jon Snow on Game of Thrones to the general population, is in rehab for exhaustion, stress, and alcohol now that Game of Thrones has come to an end. Reportedly, he started having these issues a few seasons ago um, when his when Jon Snow died and came back to life. I don't know how many seasons that was ago. I told you guys how I am with like the details of this, but he's it apparently like him becoming the most talked about character in the show was very stressful. It was a lot of responsibility, a lot of focus on him, and with that focus comes a lot of critique. I can only imagine. Um, and then being thrust into fame in general, he's talked about was difficult for him, especially this show was his first job out of drama school. So he'd, or his first major job. So he'd gone from doing a few plays in London, I believe to, to this. Um, I feel like it's all of our faults. Like, I feel like the internet drove this boy crazy. I mean, first of all, to anyone who's not a performer listening, it's extremely depressing when a show ends, you just feel this I mean, first of all, just structurally, you don't work, you don't get to work all the time as an actor. So you spend most of your time trying to get to do the thing that you love to do most, like begging for the opportunity to do it in, in a, obviously like, can you act in your, you know, closet? Sure. But on a big stage with being paid, being paid, having your work valued and having the opportunity for to, you know, just have work with great people, have production value have a budget. I mean, these are the things that we want and we don't get them like the majority of the time. So he had his steady work for eight years or so. I think it was eight years. Yeah. That's going to be depressing. But also when you're in a show, like there's this family that's built with the, I mean, sometimes the cast hates each other. I heard that, uh, Cersei, who, what's her name? Lena Headey. She specifically said she wouldn't film with who that guy, I don't remember his name, so I'm not even gonna pretend. But one of the other cast members was her ex, and they had a bad relationship. And she was like, um, I need this call sheet to not have me and him go by the craft food table to get peanuts at the same time. I don't want to look at him, I don't want to hear his name, I don't want to hear a whisper of his voice. Thank you, and I get a million dollars per episode. Boom. 
So yeah, she really did. That was go her. Um, but yeah, you build this little family and it's really a weird thing when it ends because you know, you know how much those people meant to you, but at the same time you will never be as close to them at any other moment in your life. You'll never see the same people every day. You'll never feel that same energy. It's just one of those things that dissipates. It's like graduating from college or high school. Imagine like how you missed your friends and rolled around in the grass and cried and drank and stuff. It's like that. And then the internet is just so critical. I mean, there was a petition, remember I mentioned last week for the show to end. That's not, imagine the things that you take personally every day. I take all kinds of things personally that I really don't need to. So I don't know how people let this internet stuff roll off their back. I'm going to be honest. So what's also really uncomfortable is that his exact rehab, the name of it, the town in Connecticut was listed. Now it sounds lovely and I kind of want to go. It's 120,000 a month. Yeah, it features cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, meditation. It's called has a French name. It sounds bougie. It sounds very relaxing. Um, but the point is, what are the ethics of releasing the name of and like posting pictures of this guy walking around the little town that he's going to rehab in? It's just come on, like, is there no line to be drawn here? I mean, so now he's gonna get stalked while he's trying to get therapy and get well. And it's just like, look, I've only been on TV a couple of times and I, it was enough times to have someone email me and like ask me to mail him pictures of my toes and stuff like that. Like stuff gets crazy. But I mean, this was just, this story was a lesson that things aren't always what they seem. You know, I thought he had a perfect life on the outside. He's in a world famous show, became a household name. Um, both like his real name and also his character's name became kind of like a cultural you know, touchstone or reference, if you know what I mean. And then he met his spouse on set. I mean, I can only imagine for someone to hand me a series regular role on the most famous show in the world and then be like, and here's your spouse. They happen to be employed in the same thing. Your soulmate's here, boom. Take that, your life here. Life is accomplished. You're done. Thank you. I mean, I would just be like, thank you, manna from heaven. Like you set up my whole life, my nest egg, my future kids. Like you show, like, it, it would just be, you know, I just couldn't imagine. I really wasn't imagining how, you know, how anything could take away from that. But it just goes to show you don't know people's struggles. And I don't know, like as the, the more I get into adulthood, I have been so tired once or twice and stressed out where I was like, oh, maybe when people go to rehab for exhaustion, it's not like I used to think it was a euphemism for drugs or whatever. But no, I'm like, a bitch is tired. Like, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, I could go away for a week just to sleep. And then I wouldn't be so close to punching strangers that step on my shoes or something like that. Yeah, I get it. So let's hope that he gets well soon. All right, Old Town Racism. So... If you don't know the most popular song in America right now, it's Old Town Road. It's Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. If you're above 13, you probably came to this information late, and that's okay. Um, But let me tell you some background about Lil Nas X. He's this 20-year-old dude from Atlanta who went viral when he made this song like for the TikTok app. 
TikTok app, which I only also found about for my little cousins. It's a app for making and sharing short videos. And they're often like people lip syncing and doing fun stuff. So there was this yeehaw challenge and he wrote this song. And now the song is like, you know, it went from just being on the internet to being number one on Billboard Hot 100 for seven weeks. Um, another interesting fact about this guy is he has been working on this type doing this. Like he's been working towards this type of success for about four to five years. He was releasing comedy vids, experimenting with like making different types of internet. I actually wanted to point that out because it highlights two things. Sorry, not highlights. It contradicts two things that I think people often think. Uh, one being that success is overnight. It's usually not. Usually people worked at it for years before they hit widespread success. And then two, that black people, especially like these young black musicians and stuff, or maybe like the overall stereotype that we're just innately musical and we just like pop stuff out like an Easter egg rather than like we work at it, we train, we study, things like that. Like black people are often associated with things like just like, you know, just, it's just a vibe. You just, it's in your Negro soul versus that we can have discipline and we can be strategic. And this is someone who like strategically tried to go viral and then was successful. So I think it's really cool that he learned another, he decided like music would be the way after like dabbling in his like comedy videos and stuff, which had gained a big following and then, then mastered that enough to release this hit. So I, I should also mention, I was so distressed. This isn't even like the original, this isn't even the racism I wanted to address, but this happened. So anyway, Old Time Road is this country song that has this like 808 bass, boom, boom, that comes in, you know, I got horses in the back, mama, I don't know the words, but it's just silly, catchy word salad about this, you know, being a cowboy. So the first light that happened to dude is that when his song debuted on the hot country songs chart on billboard, they took it off. They said upon further review it was determined that old town road does not currently merit inclusion on billboards country charts. When determining genres, a few factors are examined, but first and foremost is musical composition, blah, blah, blah. It incorporates references to country and cowboy imagery. It does not embrace enough elements of today's country music to chart in it. I don't care about reading the rest of this because how often do songs get placed on there and get further reviewed? Like how and why would this happen? So don't pretend you forgot to put it through the song discerning washing machine you just took it off because you realized it was a black dude and you were like mad about it. And also note, whenever you have to like make a statement saying that this, this decision had nothing to do with the race of the songwriter, then it did. It did. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, like in the song, he says, a cowboy here from Gucci, Wrangler on my booty. Can't nobody tell me nothing. So then Wrangler dropped a limited collection of clothes. I think are probably overpriced with him. And people said they wanted to boycott. People were tweeting um, saying that it was cowboy appropriation and that they were going to never buy Wrangler again. And I just think that I love the internet because it's a place for protest, but it's also a place to just blatantly show you're racist and embarrass yourself. Like, I don't know this 
fight to the bottom that like rednecks and Trump voters are doing and engaging in right now. But I think it's crazy that you want to have a reason to boycott things. And it's crazy that you want to be able to use the word appropriation back. You didn't invent cowboy. I feel like when I see cowboys uh, outfits, like the tassels, didn't y'all steal that from Mexico? Did y'all steal America from Mexico? Okay, so go sit down. Just shut up. Can't nobody tell you nothing. Can't nobody tell Shut up. It's, it's just, it's absolutely absurd. There were black cowboys. There were, white people were not the first people in America. Like, I don't know what to tell you. The first people riding around horses and herding things in this country were Native Americans, indigenous people, and then, you know, the West was a melange of Native Americans, black people, some pe- exodusters, people that move there, like freaking Oregon Trail. Like it, it was not just white and white people can't just claim cowboyhood. And country music is a mix of all kinds of things, blues being one of its the things that it's heavily influenced by. So I don't know where people really get on with this, but I'm going to encourage them to get some hobbies and Stop boycotting stuff that I'm not even sure if you wore anyway. Like, when's the last time? You know who wears Wranglers? Immigrants. I feel like I feel like that's something you get from Wrangler and Lee from, like, TJ Maxx. I feel like that's just, like, the jeans you just go grab. Like, I feel like I see Nigerians that first come here in, in Wranglers and stuff like that. So, get out of here. Okay, so I have an update for you that contains more of my, my opinion than I wanted because I have this thing about sources. I'll, I'll explain. So the college admission scandal is continuing, I think especially since it's, like, it's about to be SAT time right now. It's just ripe for still you know, making stories about it. Um, so it's circulating right now in the press that Olivia Jade knew her parents cheated. Olivia Jade is the daughter of Aunt Becky, if you remember. Um, and these are the people who paid $500,000 to get this little girl into UC, not Berkeley, not UCLA. It was a UC school. I'm not sure which one. Um, so first of all, the problem I have with sources, I'll say, is I tried to find out how they knew, like, how does everyone know that she knew? And every article that I looked at, which had like, like at least 10, it said, Olivia fully knew her parents were doing it, but she was okay with it. A source close to her said, that's it. And I am just, I have this thing where like, I imagine I, I don't remember how this came up, but me and a friend were like talking about this, like who could be a source? How far will you have to be to, to be to be a source? And to be honest, I, there are celebrities that I've met like four or five times. Somebody could ask me something about their personal business and it would be all conjecture, but I would really know them. So it could be like, yeah, he seemed really happy about the move. I didn't know anything was going to go wrong. Or like, she was so excited on this, you know, on the one day that I had brunch with her through my third cousin's boyfriend's uncle's sister. Like, what is a source? I just was a little irritated. I was disappointed. How do we really know what she really thought about it? But I'm just still tell you what I thought about the idea if she did know. Like if she did know, I would still blame the parents because I I just feel like I have confirmation that 
this young woman is a like ruined human being. And I don't mean evil. I just mean like insufferable, like the type of people that I wanted to mush in the face when I was in college. I mean, the type of people who do half million dollar bribes to places that their kids can't get into and then vote Republican and complain about people getting handouts. Yeah, that is her father, Massimo. He's an immigrant, hating immigrant Republican. It's a very specific type of person. But another fun thing is that her sister, who could allegedly read and write and was the one who was in school because she wanted to be in school and she didn't um, have a bribe sent to get there, she stayed out of this scandal until this week, it said. And like, apparently the two girls were out clubbing at Bootsy Bellows, a newly renovated club in LA. So I Google this club because the name was intriguing and I have an attention span of a hamster. So I'm like, this is literally while I'm supposed to be getting ready to share the podcast with you. Started looking up this club, the layout, the old school, like Mad Men vibe and the craft cocktails. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's a club. And then I was like, wait a minute, how old are these girls? Yeah, neither of them are over 21. <laughs> They're 19 and 20. They're underage. So while their mother's on trial for breaking the law, they, and, and just this general spectacle of privilege and rules not applying to people, they're, they're out clubbing. Like, okay. I just, you know what? Do, you, do I have to just respect the amount of fucks that are not given? Maybe, maybe, maybe after a certain point when your name is dragged through the mud, you just embrace it. Yeah, Moby. I haven't thought about him in a long time either. He's, this is the singer, a musician, ball dude, very dominant in the 90s. Important figure. Can't remember that many of his songs, but yeah, he was, he was doing it. I ha- now he's releasing a memoir. I have to say, I'm not into memoirs. They're not my favorite genre, and his would not be the one I would go to first. I mean, I didn't have to say that. I'm just choosing to say that. But he wrote about how he dated Natalie Portman in 1999 when she was 20 and he was 33. So people went ham on this. First of all, Natalie was 17 in that year. And then she also said she never dated him. She said in Harper's Bazaar, I was surprised to hear that he characterized the very short time that I knew him as dating because my recollection is a much older man being creepy with me when I had just graduated high school. Yikes. Um, Apparently, he... She said she went to one of his shows and then they met afterwards and he said, let's be friends. Let's highlight that because... I hadn't started the podcast yet when the Aziz Ansari mess happened. But just in the same vein of that line of like, do we always have to have sex? The things that you go through when you're a young woman and you're navigating with guys that you don't immediately want to sleep with or whatever. So I hear let's have friends and I'm thinking, yeah, I could see him saying that. And I could see her thinking, oh, I'm going to have an older friend to like ask for advice and stuff. Because when you're a young girl, you don't always... Like when you're that young, a hot older guy to you could be like 22. It's not necessarily 33 and it's not bald. But anyway, she said he was on tour and I was working, shooting a film. So we only hung out a handful of times before I realized that this was an older man who was interested in me in a way that I felt was inappropriate. So then in response to her saying, like, you made me feel creeped out when I was a teenager 
he releases a picture of them. And the picture is not in any, like, if you could see this picture, it's him cheesing and her doing a fake smile with dead eyes. His hand is clutching her shoulder, but in the way that, like, when someone's body's tense and you didn't actually feel that you were allowed to, like, wrap your hand around their shoulder fully, like, she has a don't touch me stance. And the picture just honestly made things so much worse for Moby. That picture was just nails in the coffin of this memoir. But he wrote a response back on Instagram, because as one does, I recently read a gossip piece. Okay, it's Harper's Bazaar, girl. Get it together. I recently read a gossip piece where Natalie Portman said we never dated. This confused me, as we did, in fact, date. And after briefly dating, we remained friends for years, blah, blah, blah. I respect her. I can't figure out why she would actively misrepresent the truth about our, albeit brief, involvement. The story is laid out in my book with lots of corroborating photo evidence. There is no corroborating photo evidence of you dating. Even if you showed a picture of your penis inside her vagina, that doesn't mean you dated. So honestly, like two people saying that they didn't have like the type of relationship that they had, but not disputing that they knew each other. You're just going to have to pick a side. And I pick Natalie's. I pick Natalie's. Um, and then he wrote these, like, I feel sorry for myself posts, copying and pasting his own posts and then saying, sincerely, what should I do when people believe accusations and not evidence? How is there evidence that she didn't feel under uncomfortable? You quack. Okay. So the way this ties into Mueller and sources, um, Natalie Portman is Mueller and I'm a source. I've met Natalie Portman a couple of times. She seems I really respect her. She seems to be a, first of all, like humble, like but serious. Her cousin was in my French class. Okay. So her cousin was in my French class in college and she came to like our little university parties. She was really just like, hi, I'm Natalie. As if like, you didn't know who she was unassuming. And then later I met her at like charity things. And she was very about that life. Like, some, I think some stars are like that when they get to achieve a certain number of their dreams really, really early, they just have their shit together and then they end up being able to use their fame for good causes, activism. Um, so I've just respected her in that way. I saw her give a commencement speech at my brother's school. She's a really like impressive woman and she's not someone who's all hanging out in the public eye all the time, gratuitously. She comes out to promote some stuff. She goes away. She's not a like messy person. She's reserved. So to me, if she felt the need to say anything that came off as like slightly shady, that kind of means you scarred her for life. And we all have those stories of those people that when we were on the cusp of teenagehood and womanhood that came in and made us feel really creepy. And that just resonates. Like I, I, I get it. It's very easy for me to imagine. It's not, you know, Moby, he looks like a Q-tip, but he's not like an ugly Q-tip. Like there's no, you, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I don't really see a reason why she'd be like, he personally disgusts me. I have to eradicate any indication that I ever like knew this person from the earth. She said that their age difference was, difference was really high, like 17 and 33, which can be proven by birth certificates. And she was uncomfortable. So... That was an interesting little like debate, like a viewpoint, you know, who's, 
who gets to say what dating is. And then let's say, have we covered this part yet? Oh yeah. The Diane Carroll angle. We talked about the beehive. Okay. So then the Portman army, I don't know what her people are going to be called. The, the Portman army came in and now Moby is getting death threats. And I just feel, oh gosh, one of the other pictures he shared, I hadn't even seen this one. You guys, she literally looks like a child and is just holding a sheet cake. And he looks like a bearded older. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 wait. Oh no. Yeah. I just age difference just became very real to me. Sometimes when, when you're with their celebrities, like you don't really picture it, but yeah, no, they just have pictures together. They're like standing next to each other. That doesn't mean it was dating. It's so weird. Okay. So now Moby has had to cancel his book tour because he's getting stalked by uh, the Portman Hive and getting death threats and everything. So he's retained the services of an apologist, a professional apologist. That's probably a skill. That's probably an entire employee in a PR office, I would assume. So I just want to say that it's on Instagram and the post says it's a picture that says, not a picture, but like it's a font that's like a branded font from Moby, an apology from Moby. And then like the next line, an apology on a white canvas of space, just a white square with that black text. He made a kind of art installation out of his apology, I guess. So then the, all the text is in the comment part of the Instagram post, which is weird because you could have written it in the top part. Anyway, he said, as some time has passed, I've realized that many of the criticisms leveled against me regarding my inclusion of Natalie are valid. He says it was inconsiderate of him to not let her know about her inclusion in the book and for me to not, you know, to not respect her reaction. I admire her, blah, 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 blah. I tried to treat everyone with respect. I apologize. I accept the dynamic of our almost 14 year age difference. I should have acted more responsibly and respectively, respectfully when I first met her years ago. I don't know. So people weren't, people didn't like that apology, which I mean, that's the way it goes. Usually you got to apologize twice nowadays because the first one is usually bullshit. So then he wrote in that same dramatic last in that, like the white Instagram square last post period. And then again, in the comments area, I'm going to go away for a while, but before I want to apologize again, and before I do, I want to apologize again and to say clearly that all of this has been my own fault. I'm the one who released the book without showing to people I wrote about. I'm the one who posted defensively and arrogantly. I'm the one who behaved inconsiderately and disrespectfully both in 2019 and in 1999. There's obviously no one else to blame but me. Thank you. And I'm sorry, Moby. I got really excited. I got so apologetic that I, I um, knocked my microphone over onto my chest. Sorry about that. Ooh, about to sneeze too. So basically, I th- I'm very interested in this pattern of how these things go in the media. Where first, left to their own devices, the person like ref- kind of gives a wishy washy like, "I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt. I'm sorry if you were dumb enough to interpret what I said wrong." Like things like that, and then. Then some PR person just throttles them and gets a hold of them and they give the most effusive apologies just like on the floor, kowtowing, like everything you ever thought was ever 
your fault or anyone else's fault is all my fault. I caused the extinctions of the dinosaurs. It was me. It wasn't a meteor. Like they just go in and I kind of like it because I think that's where apologies are supposed to be. They're supposed to be like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I'm sorry. They're just supposed to, you're just supposed to say you sh- you've messed up, which is really hard. It can be, and it can be really hard to do, but like, it's very effective. It's very effective. You, you don't have to pay any, well, I would make you pay me. I was going to say, I would tell you for free, but no, you can retain my services. I'll write some apologies for you. Anyway, Natalie pulled a muller and came out of, you know, coming for people and saying, look, I said what I said. This Q-tip was inappropriate. And now there's no book tour, but I'm honestly pretty sure the book will sell well for people who like that sort of thing. All right, I'm going to wrap this up because I have a cold and I need to drink some tea and hit the hay. But um, there's a lot of... I was going to say Real Housewives, not Real Housewives, um, 90 Day Fiance, like 18 franchises are on right now. If you have not got into it, you have all the time in the world. Download the TLC app. Dang, I sound like a commercial. I really do. But it's just good entertainment, you guys. And so they have so many franchises. There's, what is it? There's like usually the first 90 days, which is when the couples do their like 90 Day Fiance visa. There's before the 90 days when they met, before they got engaged. There's 90 days happily ever after, which is showing after they got married. And then there's a where are they now series that's just individual families of, yeah, I think, I don't know if those two are the same series. It's a lot of series, y'all. And then the last one is uh, called 90 Days the Other Direction. So very exciting. This one will feature so far. There's a woman who's like 60 years old. She got catfished by what looked like a 30 year old model, um, that was from England, but it was a 30 year old Indian it person. And she is moving to India with $4,000 in savings to be with him. This guy she's never met. So, this is the opposite of the way the show usually goes because usually the Americans are bringing people back. There's a guy that's moving to a really remote village in Ecuador, um, like a tiny, tiny place with this woman he met when he was traveling. So it's really going to be interesting to see the other direction. But I want to do a quick drag to the La Family Chantal. So this is Chantal, the African-American family uh, featuring the the daughter Chantal, who speaks very, very slowly with her mouth closed. She speaks with her teeth. She speaks through her teeth all the time. I don't know what it's about. So just a terrible, their relationship has fallen apart. The parents were convinced that because her fiance was from the Dominican Republic, he was like harvesting organs or something. It was so mortifying and it continues to be mortifying. They, I, like I said, being half immigrant, I didn't know people were so ignorant about immigrant shit, like sending money home to your family. I mean, he sent money home and there were issues about how much he sent and whether he should have consulted his wife more, but they were like, what is he sending this money for? You know, I think he has another, a drug business, just all kinds of weird accusations. It's like, he's sending it home for his mama and his, um, 
his sister. So then the end of last season, he's at dinner with his wife's family and he gets in a physical altercation with their brother who started it, by the way. He told them something like, stop talking to me, which was valid because they harassed him. They're like a horror movie. They're like one of those movies where your neighbors come over and lock you inside and torture you, but they're just like so nice and seem like well-meaning, but they're so dumb and offensive that, but they say everything with a smile and they think they're communicating, talking slowly like this. And then they'd say stuff like, me casa e Sukasa. It's so uncomfortable. And so they harass this boy and he says something like, you know, just leave me alone. I just want to be silent. And the brother's like, you don't talk like that. And hits, he jumps at the chandelier and hits the chandelier over and it swings at Pedro. And that's enough for Pedro to start swinging. The video plainly shows that the brother did it first, but like the brother's name is River, by the way. But they, but the family just glosses over that, you know. Pedro, we should talk. Are you coming to dinner? Like, you owe us an apology. Let's have dinner so we can harass you about an apology. So anyway, their marriage is, Chantal and Pedro, their marriage is falling apart. And then he goes to the Dominican Republic and he tells her, like, he doesn't know how long he's staying. He's just being a bitch about it. You know, I don't know when I'm coming back. And his, again, and he didn't want, he didn't want her to come. And, oh, I didn't even mention the Chantal doesn't has had fights with his sister his sister has called her like they have called each other slut whore every name in the book right so he's going to go so basically their families can't be around each other at this point their families hate each other um Chantal's family went to DR was really disrespectful they just acted like they were in the Amazon like in a crocodile river like the danger level that they perceived it was absolutely nuts I was like what's going on guys it's literally a place people go on vacation and so then um, he's so yeah, he said he was going to the DR. Oh, they call it the Dominican, by the way. That's why I said that. The Dominican. Pedro's going to the Dominican. And I'm like, no one told you. I don't know. I pretty much live in the Dominican where I live in Harlem. And I've never heard anyone say the Dominican. I don't think I don't think you can make up country abbreviations for places you're not from. I think you have to let the people tell you what they call it. But anyway. So the point is that he he goes to blow off steam and visit his family. It's very volatile to bring his wife around his family. It's volatile for any of the the spouse to be at the in law with the other set of in laws. Like it's it's just oil and water, and it's it's not even oil and water. It's explosions. So because he goes and his family is like, oh, it's suspicious. He must be hiding something, and it's not. Guys, there's never anything like infidelity or just. Like, that's not the way a husband should treat a wife. It's always an immigrant conspiracy. This bitch is still, the mother is still talking about how he is harvesting the American dollar. So let it be known that when you move to a country and you get a job there, your savings are like organ harvest. Like, you're not supposed to collect the currency of the country which you've immigrated to and put it in the banker for your uses or send it to your family because it's it's sketchy 
Like, I don't understand. He can access the American dollar as much as he wants when he works an American job. It's so weird. But yeah, so they were just like, there must be a reason he didn't ask. Yeah, he hates you. He hates all of you. He doesn't want to be around you anymore. It's so frustrating. I just, ah, I don't know how real it is. I know it's like a little bit real, but yo, this stuff is embarrassing as as an African-American to watch. I just didn't know. It's just, I guess it just goes to show like, we're American because like it just looks really ignorant like from for an American perspective anyway tune in let me know what you think and who's your favorite couple to watch all right that's a wrap from me it's another episode of cake and kombucha please if you like what you hear subscribe on apple spotify soundcloud but it's especially important that you rate and review on apple Podcasts because those reviews are how i know what's working what's not working what content you want to hear and i can keep putting out stuff that you guys like all right thank you so much i can't wait to hear from you and i'll talk to you next week cake in kombucha is written and produced by kalechi aza it is recorded in new york city on location it features music by melanie jb charles if you like what you hear Go to MelanieJBCharles.com for information about European and U.S. tour dates, or you can hear her on Spotify. Yeah, 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 yeah,